0: This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news,
1: today's talk.
0: 640 Toronto. John Tory made it official in a letter to the city clerk. He will uh, relinquish his duties as mayor uh, no later than Friday, tomorrow at 5 p.m. Joining us to discuss the budget process yesterday and where the city goes from here. Um, we always appreciate him making time for us as Toronto City Councillor Brad Bradford. Are you A relief to get yesterday um, over with. Uh, there was obviously a, a, a different vibe at city council it was bound to happen but the city councilors got uh, your 2023 budget passed
2: yeah thanks greg we got it passed and uh, i heard from a lot of torontonians that despite all of the uh, the challenges of the past week and it's been a very tough week for toronto This was so important. They wanted us to come together, get that budget passed, protect the frontline services, build the housing, get the roads going, work on crime and safety, all the things that are really top of mind. And uh, for the most part, council, uh, we really worked well together. And and that was a bit of a relief, but a long day in the chamber.
0: Has the mayor done the proper and correct thing here with uh, with what we found out overnight with the resignation?
2: Well he said he was going to resign uh, last Friday. That was shocking. Uh, It was very much a personal decision reflecting on things that had happened and how he felt about it. Uh, I could tell you I heard from from a lot of folks over the weekend and throughout the week. um, They wanted him to stay. Um, You know they feel like he was doing a great job at mayor. We had just had an election three months ago. He was elected with a, a huge mandate. And you know, I can com- I communicated that to him, and we talked about it. But at the mo- at the end of the day, the most important thing was the relationship with family, the personal considerations, and and those were things that he had to work through. And uh, he's made his decision clear, and we need to respect that.
0: I, I, I watched Francis nunziata say it's going to be um, a quote disaster if he leaves I, I I don't know if you share that opinion to me that's that's very um, defeatist language I I don't I think we survived um, a, a departure of, of Rob Ford and and that was exactly what John Tory um, aimed to do was bring the city in get it back on track from a lot of chaos and a lot of disorder um I, I think it's a bridge too far for Ms Nunziata to say that how do you react to it
2: Well, you know, uh, Frances is a passionate person, and I know she cared deeply about the mayor. But what I can tell you is uh, the folks in Toronto are resilient. Uh, We're a very strong city. Um, we're optimistic and we're hopeful as well. We're supported by a professional civil service, um, you know, folks who know how to do the job at City Hall. We've got a lot of energy in our new counselors. I, I think some of the big challenges will be the gaps we have in our budget, the need for deep collaboration with the province and the federal government. Uh, we will go into an election cycle here that's going to push us back a couple months. Um, after that, you know, it's, it's going to take a bit of time to, to get a new administration set up and, uh, and start moving the agenda forward again. And when you think about all the big issues, whether it's affordability or housing, crime and public safety, transit, getting people moving, um, you know, we just don't have a lot of time to waste. So I think that's the concern. But is this something that, uh, you know, is insurmountable? Absolutely not. It comes down to leadership and who's going to be in a position to start a new chapter here in Toronto.
0: Brad Bradford's our guest on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. What is the, the the timeline? What are you hopeful for? What would be an encouraging timeline to elect a new mayor?
2: So my understanding is a report's going to come to our next council meeting on March 29th. That is our opportunity to formally declare the office of mayor vacant and pass a bylaw that triggers the election. Um, there will be a nominations that open the next business day following that council decision. Um, They should be open for either 30 or 60 days, and then the by-election would be 45 days after. So I think we're looking at somewhere around mid-June or mid-July for the election. Um, It's not a long time. That is definitely a sprint. But I think Torontonians will tune into this because, again, as I said, there's just so much at stake, so many issues top of mind, and this is an opportunity for a reset it's an opportunity for generational change and a new chapter in Toronto.
0: This also doesn't change the the cycle of municipal elections Brad am I right if someone is elected let's say in in late spring of 2023 they they have to get reelected in October or early November of of 2026 to be blunt this is similar to if someone, if a president were assassinated in the United States, it doesn't change the election cycle, does it? it do, I'm saying it doesn't give that person four years from that point on. And all of a sudden we're we're having an election in 27. This will basically be for about a term of three years and a few months.
2: Yeah, that's right. This is the uh, the election dates are fixed by the province. So we already know when the next election is in 2026. Um, and this this by-election or special election Will happen, as I said, a little bit later in the spring, but we'll be back to the polls as per your regular schedule of election, probably October 2026. So it it doesn't reset the cycle. I think folks will, you know, we're going to have to have an election. Nobody nobody wants that. We just had one. Um, But again, given the circumstances, that's where we're at right now. And I know Torontonians will, will rise to the
0: challenge. When would you like to have your decision made as to whether you're going to run for mayor?
2: Well, yeah, it's a good question. I I honestly was very focused on on getting the budget done. Uh, I've been continuing to do my work in my capacity of chair in planning and housing. I'm actually heading out to Scarborough today to to meet with some of our planning staff and and talk about the work that we have underway for our housing action plan. So the job itself, as, as I have it, is very consuming. But this is a big job and it's a big decision. So I need to spend time talking to friends and family and neighbors about what that would look like. And uh, I've been flattered by the, you know, the support that I've been receiving. Um, We've been talking to folks from across the political spectrum about their hopes and aspirations, what they want to see here in the city, what they would like to see um, for the next mayor. But, you know, until the, the mayor that we have right now had made his decision, it was just far too early uh, to weigh in on that, but over the next few days, um you know we're going to have to come to ground on that because again, it's a compressed election cycle. There's so much at stake. It's going to be a really important one and a new chapter for Toronto.
0: Brad Bradford's our guest on Toronto today. Last couple of minutes with him. Um, the the average listener may be asking, what will this delay? Will the, will this delay anything in terms of the business of the city and and repairing some of the infrastructure and and doing something that's a huge priority of yours as the chair of planning and housing committee, getting new homes built. Um, we're not going to fix. You can't fix a crisis overnight, but I know you, you've laid this out and thought over the next span of years, there's some really, really important things, but they have to get, like shovels have to go into the ground now. W- what delays anything about this process, if, if at all?
2: Well, the good news is we got the budget passed, and, and that, was a, that was a big thing, and I was trying to emphasize that with my colleagues and other just how important that was so that we have the funding in place so that the professional civil service can continue to do the work that doesn't change um they they will be committed to making sure that we're doing the construction keeping the trains running making sure that we've got our emergency responders in place to take care of folks that's all still happening i guess it would be some of the more bigger sort of politically directed moves like our housing action plan. And, and that's why I'm going out to the team in Scarborough uh, a little bit later today to talk to them. I'll be visiting North York, Etobicoke, all our different uh, planning and housing offices to just reiterate, this is a full gas press. Our housing crisis cannot wait. Um, we, we can't take our foot off the gas pedal here. And, I, you know, I want to make sure that we're still bringing those things forward, whether or not, you know, I, I'm running in a bigger election or not. Um, there's going to be a lot of people running, but the work cannot stop because the issues and, and our housing challenges are so great. We don't have weeks to waste, let alone months, and so the work has to continue. I'm, I'm going to be engaged in that and keep driving it forward. Got we need up. a council and leadership that is action-oriented and making sure things are things are happening.
0: I got under a minute here. How how close will you stay in touch with, with Mayor Tory? You've gotten close professionally. Um, you You've leaned on him. He's leaned on you. Will you call him for advice? Will you give him space? How do you how do you process the relationship going forward?
2: Well, it's you know, it's a relationship and and I care about him, you know, as a friend and a colleague. And so this has certainly, I'm sure, been one of the most challenging things that, that he and his family have ever been through. So, you know, it's just about supporting friends. When somebody's having a tough time, you want to reach out and say, you know, I'm here for you. Uh, he doesn't need anything from me. Uh so, you know, it's really just offering support and and kindness like you would with any friend. Uh but also, I'm sure he probably wants to to get away and and reset and spend that time with the family which is so so important, the most important thing. And so, you know, want to let him have that space. But he'll be involved. Um, you know, I'd thank him yeah. for his service, 8 years at the helm as mayor and decades of public service prior to that. This guy has left an indelible positive impact on our city and on our province and i'm sure he will be involved in city building on a go forward basis so i don't think it'll be the last that we hear from him and you know it's always good when smart people are around the table mm. trying to make things better and uh, and i hope he continues to do that
0: brad thanks for your time this morning we'll obviously stay in touch and, and i appreciate you making time for our audience You bet, Greg. See you soon. Brad Bradford. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. So yesterday, um, the federal sport minister, Pascal Saint-Ange, who we've had on the show many times, um, documented the idea. And I think this has to be considered good news. um, An audit commission by the federal government noted Hockey Canada didn't use public funds to settle sexual assault cases or pay for related legal fees of all the issues and all the conundrums hockey canada found themselves in and all the all the things that I think we would question the ethics of of a of a business and especially a government funded business I suppose that was a relief to find out that intersects as well was with, with a lot of controversy right now with canada soccer and our a brilliant women's national team who will play tonight um That's what we know right now in Orlando against the United States. It's best on best of four team tournament called the She Believes Cup. And Canada is down there in advance of going to the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand in August. Joining us to discuss those issues is uh, Canadian MP and the parliamentary secretary to the Minister of Public Services and Procurement. He is Anthony Housefather. Anthony, it's always great to have you back on in Toronto. Thanks very much for the time uh amazing to be with you and a big ickety booty you (laughs) okay we can't ban it it's 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 cross-party lines and we won't ban the phrase i uh
3: exactly exactly i I mean it may have been an unfortunate turn of phrase but he had every right to
0: use it (laughs) i'm willing to take the l on that you got to take the l sometimes and i'm willing to do it on on this phrase alone um, that news from Hockey Canada. I, I mean, am I right to call it a relief? It was probably everybody's biggest fear in the summer when we were starting to learn this and starting to learn that about the process. And 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 uh, your colleague, uh, Minister St. Ange, called for the audit in the first place.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I was never really concerned that government funding had been used in the settlement. I mean, I think the whole thing was a horrible uh, type of governance that needed to be fixed. Um, federal funding... For many of the national sports organizations is a huge percentage of their revenues, but that's not the case with Hockey Canada that has all those sponsors and has all those other sources of revenue. So I was less concerned about whether federal funds were used than the whole process of what they actually were doing. With registration fees of young people across the country um, and settling claims without letting people know and and using you know weird geometries of, of, of these funds to avoid anybody knowing exactly what the board was doing with it, but I am happy to know that no federal funds were used.
0: Would you point to Hockey Canada and say with all that has happened, with a new board elected, with all that, um, you know, all the back and forth, the Q&A that, that, uh, that, that you and other MPs from all, party line, all parties put them through, that, that they're in a better place now, that they're on the right track, still work to do, but more on the right track than they would have been, say, six months ago?
3: Oh, absolutely. I, I met with, uh, with Judge Fraser, uh, the new chair of the board, um, and, uh, and some of the other board members, and, uh, and, 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 and you know, the acting CEO. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I absolutely believe now they're on a much better path. I believe they have people on the board that are committed um, and, you know, to, to, to getting things right, to cleaning up their act. And, and I do think they're on a better path now.
0: All right, Canada soccer. Um, the women are, are going to play tonight, but there's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of vitriol. Um, there's, there's a very outspoken, uh, iconic Canadian stars that are really, really, I mean, disheartened is a word I've, I've, I've seen used. Frustrated is a word I've seen used. And they'll be wearing the, you know, the red and white tonight. Um, how can we solve this situation? What do you see here?
3: Well, the first thing is, I think we all want the women's team to succeed. I think we're all very proud of them. I think it's relatively shocking to hear that the spending on the women's team has been much less than on the men's team in a comparable circumstance when they were preparing for the World Cup. Um, And, you know, there's a lack of transparency, clearly, at Canada Soccer. Um, There are claims which, you know, we have to look into about lack of proper governance, about where monies are going, Um, and I think – What we can do to help uh, is bring, you know, bring this issue to light, make sure Canadians have full transparency, make sure the players have full transparency, make sure all the registrants in Canada soccer have full transparency, um, and, uh, and, and we'll look into the issue at the committee.
0: This seems multi-layer, doesn't it? Uh, in, in terms of um, in terms of the basics, um, you've been a high-level athlete yourself, and you would look and say, "There's probably a lot of layers to this." There's there's not capitalizing it feels like on uh, on just the marketing of the team, the selling of the team, the merchandise, but then there's the the basic meat and potatoes of of them saying we're, we're just not treated the same on a, on a level playing field for the same. This isn't about professional sports and sponsorship and attendance and tickets. We're asked to do the same thing as the men are at World Cups. And we have nowhere near the infrastructure that the men are provided.
3: And this seems to be like, you know, routine in North American sport. I mean, you you have claims. I mean, obviously, this was the case much, much more. Uh, in the past where men's teams used to get the vast lion's share of resources and women's teams were, were left with what, what was left, uh, mm-hmm. which was totally unfair. And here we have the women's team who are the Olympic champions uh, who are claiming that they're, you know, and I think it's, it's you know, we, what we know is actually true that they're financed less than the men's team that, you know, as much as we're very proud that they qualified for the World Cup this year, they played very well there. They're nowhere as good internationally as our women's team. That's not fair.
0: How um, what's your jurisdiction to look into their books and make them produce audited financial statements about where their spending level has gone? Do they have too much infrastructure at the top, too many presidents or vice presidents and and not enough spending at the ground floor level? What's what's in your jurisdiction to do, Anthony?
3: So in our jurisdiction, we have the ability to ask for any documents that we want to receive from Canada Soccer. We're like a court. We have the ability to summon uh, or, you know, you would know the word subpoena from a court, any of the documents that we want to summon from Canada Soccer. So we've already summoned their board minutes um, and we are going to look into what's in there and what other documents we need. Um, And yes, we do have the ability to question them. Uh, to find out what what is behind everything, to find out where the money is going. Um, The Minister herself would have the right to order an audit because there are federal funds going to Canada Soccer. Um, And I think again, once we have Canadians and the players and all those registered across the country knowing exactly what is going on, decisions will be made within Canada Soccer as to whether or not that board is doing a good job or is not and should be replaced.
0: Anthony Housefather, our guest on Toronto Today, uh, joining us, uh, Canadian Liberal MP for Mount Royal. What's the timeline for being able to do this? Can you get a lot of your questions answered before this team plays in the World Cup in the summer?
3: Yes. Uh, I think the whole committee has met. We are all determined that we want to hear from the players, the women's team. We want to hear from Canada soccer um, as soon as possible. We've already received the board minutes uh, that have come to us translated uh, two days ago. Um, And, uh, and, and I think the committee is meeting later today, again, not like on sports issues, but with the sports, but not, not on Canada soccer particularly, but we are, we are going to, I think make a decision today as to what dates we're going to call them in. But I think it will be um, in, in early March at the latest.
0: I know you've looked, um, you know, to to switch gears somewhat. I know you've been outspoken about it. Minister Saint Ange has been outspoken a, a, about it. That we just seem to have a, a crisis in confidence in in um, coaching. We're having way too many coaches. Um, getting um, arrested. It's great that they're getting arrested for sexual assault charges and grooming charges. We just had a table tennis coach here arrested in in Newmarket of all sports. We see yesterday a gymnastics coach in Ottawa and Kingston facing new assault charges. Um, this is very worrying for parents that we have a pervasive culture across a lot of our sports that... that th- The best part, the best way I can put it, Anthony, is it needs it needs a deep, deep clean is the best way I can put it for parents to feel confident about putting their kids in sports. How do you view it?
3: I I mean, I agree. I I don't want us to overblow this. I think you can still safely put your kids in sports and in in this country. I think sports are an important part of everybody's life growing up and, and throughout your life. And I wouldn't want any parent to feel discouraged. What we need to do is make sure there's better supervision at the sports federations. We need to make sure there's a reporting system that takes all of the allegations seriously. And I think, you know, Greg, like Mm. I remember when I was younger, a lot of the things that coaches in, 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 because, because that was the norm made us do would today be shocking to people's conscience, right? Like I remember going on deck every week and the coach in front of everybody, weighing everybody um, and measuring our body fat yeah um really, like that would have been unheard of. I remember you know coaches putting their hands all over you. Um, you know like I can remember all kinds of things that today would be shocking to people's conscience and and most coaches at the time just thought that was what they were supposed to do, and I think we need to have a proper education system because most coaches are obviously in good faith they're good people. they need to better be trained as to how to be a proper coach and and when you have people that are acting Outside the norm, that are doing horrible things, like you know, sexually uh, assaulting kids, or harassing them, or threatening them, or or belittling them. We need to have a reporting system that immediately recognizes this and has them removed as quickly as possible.
0: Yeah, it's an incredibly important system. Yeah, you you reminded me of the calipers in in grade nine gym class. Yeah. No matter who you were, even though I was. Uh, Skinniest kid on the on the planet at that point in time in ninth grade, um, you'd get those calipers stuck into you. The, co- the coach would shout out your body fat. It had to be horrifying for some boys and girls in ninth grade. Horrifying,
3: exactly, exactly. And, and 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 I think I can think of a lot of other things that would be less, you know, more graphic that we shouldn't be talking about. Yeah. That that
0: that, <laughs> that that people at the time just accepted. I- yeah, you're right about the uh, about all that. Hey, uh, let's stay in touch on the uh, on the Canada soccer front. I appreciate you coming on today and thanks for making the time for our audience. Anytime, great. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Anthony Housefather, uh, joining us, Liberal MP. These are these are very very important conversations. He's right. We all should want our kids to be in sport. And look, by the way, fitness matters. Fitter kids are going to play more. So, like stronger kids are going to play more, okay? But at the same time, there's do's and don'ts that I think we've had a bit of a market correction in that capacity. And maybe not every coach has got up to speed on, um, on the right way to put it when um, someone's lacking or went away for the summer and came back heavier than they should be or not as strong as they should be or just didn't put the work in over the weekend when they were supposed to. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Saw the story yesterday about um, the ask for Ontario children's hospitals. Um, The province obviously has to uh, determine funding and, and obviously has an upcoming budget that uh, they're going to submit and, and healthcare will be a huge factor in that budget. Um, we're obviously we've opened up some windows, if you will, to tackle some of the, the backlogs for surgeries, some of the wait lists for even um, simple diagnostics for x-rays, MRIs. And that was about five, six weeks ago uh, that Doug Ford and Sylvia Jones announced that. And understandably so, Um, the OMA wants uh, the next budget to address a lot of these issues as well. We're happy to be joined by OMA president, Dr. Rose Zacharias. It's great to have you on, Uh, doctor. I appreciate the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. What are some of the big asks you're looking for the next time the province steps up with a a provincial budget then?
1: Well, the pandemic has certainly exposed serious gaps in Ontario's healthcare system and we need to act swiftly to uh, uh, we have many immediate recommendations around the doctor shortage, the wait times issue, and also moving more care out of hospitals and into the community. We know that that would be actually a cost-saving feature. Um, and also bring care to where patients are. These are our three main recommendations. Um, inside of a prescription for Ontario, which is really a road map, better health um, from a a physician's and and our patients perspective.
0: How do we get more doctors and nurses working in Ontario?
1: So we have immediate recommendations licensing more internationally trained physicians. We know there are hundreds of doctors in Ontario that have yet to be licensed. There's just traditional barriers to actually being licensed. Of course Their credentials need to be scrutinized and uh, our regulator, our College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario needs to be involved. We have been working with them. But if we could act on that recommendation now with something called practice-ready assessments, We could bring hundreds of doctors into the system within the next several months. As well, long term, we need more medical schools, more residency training positions. And then we need to, um, you know, it takes about 10 to 12 years to train a physician and doctors train and educate doctors. So we need to retain the physicians that are in the system so that uh, we're seeing patients, but that we're also, you know, bringing about another generation of physicians that are um, are adequately trained.
0: Where are most of these um, nurses and doctors um, from Dr. Zacharias, where, where, where are, are they from Europe? Are they from Africa? Are they from Asia? Where are they from?
1: Well, you know, honestly, some of these um, internationally trained physicians are actually Ontario citizens, and yet they've gone and got their training elsewhere around the world. Okay. And so coming back, they are then required to be licensed and to write an exam and to um, have their credentials reviewed. And so some are from um, other countries around the world, but some actually have our uh, Canadian citizens, Ontario citizens, um, but have just done their training elsewhere. So we just need to expedite that process uh, so that we can get those physicians into the system.
0: You've seen the data about the um, the endless paperwork that, that many doctors and, and hospital admins uh, have to perform. What what reduces that? It's clearly a drain. It's clearly something where um, y- you'll even hear anecdotally that some people leave the business, not because the, of the patient relationship, not even because of the hours or the pay, but the paperwork overwhelms them. It's It's the worst part of their day, week, and month.
1: Doctors spend an entire day each week just doing paperwork. We want doctors to be seeing patients, and patients want access to their doctors. And so we are, I mean, I've been a physician for 20 years. Started in the day of pen and paper and mm-hmm. filing cabinets, of course we want technology to um, to be part of the medical profession. But our computers don't talk to one another. Our software programs are incredibly glitchy. We're sitting in front of computer forms that don't auto populate. They require multiple clicks to fill in even demographic information. It's really a lot of time spent on non doctor business that would be better spent spending time with patients, making a diagnosis, recommending care, um, developing a relationship. It's hard to have a conversation with someone staring at a screen. We struggle with that all the time, not just in medicine. And so this exists here. It needs to be dealt with so that doctors can be doctors. And patients can, ha- can have well, access to doctors.
0: Like I come home yesterday and my wife's on a call um, getting a dermatology appointment for my son. And um, and I feel like I, when I hear the word like, well, we'll fax over, we we kind of start looking at each other and giggling. Like you feel like medicine feels like the last industry on the planet utilizing the fax machine. It does.
1: Absolutely. We know even 80% of doctors are still dependent on fax machines so these are ways that we need to bring our digital and technology uh, systems into you know the present day in order to uh, enhance our medical practice in order to help with the building of the relationship you know you talk about um, being on a phone and trying to organize a dermatology appointment even that process needs to be better done we need a centralized waitlist and referral system For those specialist appointments right now, family doctors are really at the mercy of, like, hopefully that dermatologist has a slot available to see my patient. I have filled out the form. I've made the phone call. I have sent the fax. Now I'm finding out that dermatologist doesn't have time. Okay, I'm back to square one. I'm doing it all over again. That is ridiculous ways for doctors to spend their time. We need a centralized referral system. It would completely take care of that.
0: Dr. Rose Zacharias, our guest OMA president, um, one of the big challenges I have, and, and, and I think I, I challenge people to ask for this um, w- with a lean um, to upstairs, is I've seen I've seen the graphs. I've seen the charts that show hospitals have added a tremendous amount of administrators um, in the last several years. So whether it's sick kids or whether it's CHEO in Ottawa. You know, I I see the CEOs talking all the time. I'm not going to begrudge them their salaries. But at the same time, it's really, really frustrating to me because I worry they're a little bit like the provinces. The federal government says we're not just going to give you a blank check this time around. We want you to get a centralized wait list together. I want hospital executives, Dr. Zacharias, to prove that, that they know how to run hospitals. And an endless supply of money doesn't doesn't reassure me that sometimes they do, even in the toughest times. Like, I think those are fair asks.
1: We definitely need strategic investments. Now our recommendations are around, you know, accessing primary care also that hospitals would be equipped to deal with acute care. We know that many patients in hospitals don't require acute care. And so we talk about investments in the community, long-term care, palliative care, to bring those patients out of the hospital and have care access there. For sure, we need our administrators and our government to be committed to these solutions and working on them. Physicians in the system really just want good, high-quality, safe care for every single Ontarian. You know, it's particularly troubling to know that a million and a half or more people in Ontario don't have a family doctor. We need to start there. Your family doctor is that trusted relationship to get you that specialist appointment, to walk alongside you with your medical conditions, prevent you from getting sicker, and, uh, and we need to start there. But there's all sorts of structural issues that we also need to tackle.
0: Want to keep talking about them. Thanks very much for the time today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Dr. Rose Zacharias, our guest.